secret bunker somewhere outside of Nashville, Tennessee. This is the award-winning podcast, Reality. Good evening, everyone, and thanks for listening tonight. My name is Sandman, and I'm going to be your guide through this strange realm of ghosts, cryptids, UFOs, aliens, conspiracy theories, and other unsolved mysteries that I like to call Parareality. You know, I've been doing this podcast for a long time now. And back when I first started, what I'm doing wasn't even called podcasting. It was called internet radio. I've talked about so many different paranormal UFO and conspiracy theory topics that I can't even remember them all. By this point, you'd think that I'd probably just about covered everything there was to cover. But if you think that, you'd be wrong. There are so many mysterious and paranormal things out there that I've yet but just scratched the surface of all of this stuff. And one of the things that I have a history of doing is taking our traditional Christian holidays and breaking them down to their roots, down to where they really came from. I think that I've broken down just about every major holiday that you can think of. Well, all but one, really. Whenever I was trying to think of a topic to cover for tonight's episode, I was actually having a hard time coming up with something. I was thinking about all the things that I had already tackled, and I was considering, do I want to take something that I've talked about before and come at it from a new angle? Do I want to rehash old topics? What do I want to do? And I was just struggling to come up with something, anything, because I was just at a, I was just having a block. And that's when I thought, hey, wait a minute. I haven't talked about the real history of Thanksgiving yet. So I did a little research on the real meaning behind Thanksgiving. And I was actually very shocked and surprised to learn about our our traditional Thanksgiving roots. So on tonight's journey into the realm of parareality, I'm going to take you, my loyal listeners, on another time-traveling journey. We're going to go back several hundreds of years to the beginning of what we now celebrate as Thanksgiving. Our journey will be broken down into several parts. First, we'll take a look at the traditional tale of Thanksgiving. Then we'll journey to the first Thanksgiving before we move along to take a look at the ancient harvest festivals. Then I'll discuss the Thanksgiving myths and I'll debunk them for you. And finally, I'll discuss some of the pagan symbols of Thanksgiving and divulge some little-known facts about the holiday. And of course, to learn more, you'll need to turn on, tune in, and find out. However, before we begin tonight's journey, as always, I need to tell you how you can get in touch with me here at the show because if you're a listener and you've been listening for a while, you know there are several different ways that I can go that you can go about doing this. So, first of all, you can get in t- contact with me via email. That is the quickest and easiest way to do it. My email address is sandman at parareality.com. That's sandman at parareality.com. Quickest and easiest way to get in touch with me. Second, you can find me on Facebook by going to my Parareality page on Facebook. Just uh, type in a Facebook search for Parareality, or you can go to facebook.com slash sandman.parareality, and you can find my Facebook page there. And uh, I post a lot of interesting stuff. I don't do a whole, I'm not heavy on Facebook, but I do post some interesting articles from there. Some uh, You can listen to the show from there as well. If you want to listen to Facebook, I mean, why would you? I don't know. But, you know, you can you can find out a lot of stuff about behind the scenes of Parareality. Get some uh, videos and information about maybe an investigation or two that I'm going on. Uh, third, 
you can always follow me on Twitter. I do tweet a lot. That's uh, how I primary, that's my social media platform of choice, I guess you could say. My username on Twitter is at Radio. That is at Radio. Do a lot of uh, posting on Twitter. Like I said, that is my main social media outlet. And lastly, you can always call me here on the studio line and leave me a message. The number is 615-692-1170. That number to call once again is area code 615-692-1170. And uh, if you uh, decide to leave me a message, I want you to know that simply by leaving me a message, you're giving me permission to play your comment back on the show. So if you don't want that to happen, you'll need to let me know somewhere in your message. And there's about, a, I think, a three-minute three time limit on there. So if you call and you leave a message and uh, you get cut off, call back, pick up right where you left off. And, you know, I'm always looking for some interesting stories for the podcast. So if you have a story that you'd like to get on the show, you want to tell it to me on the voicemail, call me up, 615-692-1170, and tell me your story. If you run out of time, like I said, call back and pick up where you left off. So to recap, you can always email me at the show, quickest and easiest way to get in touch with me, sandman at parareality.com. That's sandman at parareality.com. Find me on my Facebook page by going to facebook.com slash sandman.parareality. Or you can just, while you're on Facebook, do a search for Parareality. Follow me on Twitter, at Radio is my username on Twitter. That's at Radio. And lastly, you can call me at that number, 615-692-1170. Leave me a message. So those are all the different ways that you can get in contact with me here on the podcast. Now here comes the time of the show that I love. It's email time. So I always try to make it a point to read at least one email during the podcast. And, of course, tonight is... No exception. I've got the background music a little loud tonight. Let me turn that down. So uh, this comes actually from a YouTube user from my YouTube account, uh, Parareality on YouTube. Um, All of my um, audio from the podcast are posted on YouTube as well. And I do get a a lot of people who listen to the podcast uh, strictly from YouTube. Uh, And this comes from, excuse me, YouTube user Bill. And Bill's referring to the uh, last episode that Eric and I did together where we did the uh, review of the UFO documentary by James Fox called The Phenomena. And uh, so Bill writes, they don't test new secret aircraft in front of a carrier battle group because then you have thousands of people who know all about it within half an hour. Yes, New York Times tells the truth. So it's left-leaning. Why is it famous, guys? Ask yourselves that. A better outlet than the Times like what? The freaking Inquirer or worse, the Fox Putin channel? Mellon and Elizondo both have security clearances, way high ones. They are working with the legislators. They briefed the Senate Intelligence Committee and Armed Services Committee, etc., etc., and made a partnership with the fucking Army to study pieces of UFOs and much more. Yeah, so far, two seasons of Unidentified and their part in the phenomena. Come on, guys. All right, well, thanks, Bill, for uh, your very spirited reply there. Uh, I've, I've since had a couple of exchanges with Bill Um about uh, clearing up some of the things that he was talking about because I wasn't really sure what he was trying to say uh, with everything. But yes, Bill, um, you're right. The New York Times is a famous newspaper. Um, you know, that was uh, Eric's opinion that it kind of is, is a left-leaning newspaper. Um, I don't expect everyone who listens to this podcast to always agree with everything uh, that I say or, or that their opinion should be the same opinion as mine. And I think Eric, uh, um, 
you know, I'm going to speak for him. I think he feels pretty much the same way. Um, and we're not trying to sway anyone one way or the other. We're just presenting the facts and we're letting you make up your own mind. And, and I don't expect everyone's opinion to be the same as mine. And it's okay to have a different opinion. <clears throat> um, so yeah, why did he, why did, uh, Mellon decide to go with the New York Times? I really don't know. I'm sure he has his reasons. Uh, I've never learned what those reasons are. Um, I think with something that big, though, I think that it would have been better served to have gone uh, more of a press release type issuance instead of going just exclusively to the New York Times. Like I said, I know he had his reasoning. Probably there was some money involved in there. I, I, I don't know. Uh, that's just a speculation. Um, but uh, I, I really wish that he would have done it more as a press release instead of just giving an exclusive story to one newspaper. To me, I think that would have given it a, a little bit more credibility. Um, and, you know, to suggest that he should have gone to the Inquirer or the Fox Channel, I know you were being facetious there, but that's just dumb as hell. Um, no one in their right mind would go to the Inquirer and release something unless they wanted nothing but money and maybe a little bit of fame, but that doesn't strike me as something that Mellon would do. He's got more integrity than that. And Fox News, yeah, um, they're a joke as far as I'm concerned, so I'm glad he didn't reach out to them. But And I know you're being facetious with that, but uh, come on, man, that's, that's kind of stupid. Um, so, um, you know, as far as security clearances go, um, as someone myself who used to work for the government, I had a top secret security clearance. And uh, I know just speaking for myself that whenever I resigned my job, I lost my top secret security clearance. And I think that is true for the majority of people who have security clearances. When they leave their position, they uh, oftentimes lose their security clearance. Now, that is not true 100% of the time. I think the higher up you go uh, up the rankings and the more s clearance that you have, um, I think that you have the ability to keep that. Uh, some people keep it for life just based upon the position that they had. And Mellon may be one of those. Elizondo, he, he could be too. Um, you know, I, I, I really don't know. Um, what I can say is that uh, a top secret security clearance like what I had, um, that's like on the very bottom rung of the ladder. And those two guys, their security clearances went way above and beyond anything that I ever had. So uh, it wouldn't surprise me to find out that they could keep those security clearances for a long time, possibly even for life. So thanks, Bill, for... Um, listening to the show, number one, and for uh, number two, for, for reaching out and, and giving your opinion and, and causing, you know, a, a discussion between the two of us, like what we had on, um, on YouTube. And, um, if you want to see the, the full discussion that Bill and I had on YouTube, uh, just go to, uh, para reality on YouTube and, uh, look for the phenomena video and you'll see, uh, everything in the comments. It's not a lot. It's only like five or six or comments or so with everything. But uh, uh, that's one of the reasons why I love to do this podcast is because, you know, people do have different opinions and you can open up debates and not everyone's always going to gonna agree. So uh, once again, thanks, Bill, for your uh, comment about the phenomena on the YouTube channel. Now we can get on with the heart of why we're here and we can talk about the pagan history of Thanksgiving. So as I said, I'm going to break this down into different parts and I'm not going to do a, a complete deep dive into this because it can get pretty deep in the weeds, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to hit the, the, the highlights of our pagan history of Thanksgiving and then let you do your own research into it because, you know, that's what I like to do. You know, as the leaves turn beautiful golden and fiery red hue colored, the weather gets colder 
and people prepare for the oncoming winter in the Northern Hemisphere, we Americans enjoy our annual celebration of Thanksgiving. It's a time to be with your family and your friends and to remember the history of our country's founders all those hundreds of years ago and to be grateful for all that we have. In effect, it's a time to count blessings and enjoy the bounty of the year with a a large focus on eating, on our foods like turkey and vegetables and mashed potatoes and stuffing, dressing, whatever, depending on what area of the country you're from. Pecan pie, pumpkin pie, mm, pumpkin pie. God, I love me some pumpkin pie. <laughs> so our American holiday of Thanksgiving is now observed on the fourth Thursday in November every year. And the history of Thanksgiving is taught to uh, us American school children during our elementary school days. That's where I first learned about Thanksgiving and about the pilgrims and the Indians and how they came together and had this, this bounty, you know, and been, been a minute since I've been in school, but I'm assuming they still teach this sometime during the elementary school days. And for some families, it's the biggest celebration of the year. Most families, I would say, that is probably the biggest celebration of the year. And it's the start of the holiday season. you got to include Christmas and New Year in there. Thanksgiving is traditionally, here in the United States, um, the most traveled holiday because that's the one where everyone goes home to be with their family. Like I said, it celebrates family. And not just your inner circle of your family, your extended family too. So you go to your mom and dad's house or grandma and grandpa's house. And you've got all your brothers and sisters and cousins, aunts, uncles, and all that stuff there. And it usually winds up to be a big family celebration that everybody travels for. Probably not this year, but you know what I'm saying. So this holiday is considered a vital part of American history and its identity. But much of the popular story told every year in school about Thanksgiving's origins is actually kind of wrong. It's really full of historical inaccuracies. So what are the real origins of this holiday harvest festival? Believe it or not, Thanksgiving is as pagan as they come. Now before I get into the pagan history of Thanksgiving, let's take a look at the first Thanksgiving as has been traditionally told to us in school for centuries. And we're going to Start out with the popular tale of the settlers on the Mayflower. This traditional story recounts the hardships suffered and the celebrations had by the original colonists, who were also known as pilgrims, when they first came here to North America from Europe. It's sparsely documented, but Thanksgiving Day is often traced to an occasion at Plymouth Plantation, in 1621, where these religious pilgrims, these religious refugees from England, shared a feast with the local Native Americans. Their small ship, the Mayflower, departed from Plymouth, England in 1620, and it was filled with religious separatists seeking a new home to practice their faith, as well as some enterprising people who were just looking to start a new life. They wanted to have land ownership and prosperity here in the new world. So after an arduous 66-day-long journey, they landed and established a village named Plymouth in what is now today the state of Massachusetts. Now, the North American winter was harsh there, and it was especially hard for the newcomers, and their harvest largely failed resulting in about half of the original 102 passengers dying of exposure, starvation, scurvy, and other kind of nasty diseases. The Native Americans that were local to the area are said to have surprised the pilgrims by greeting them and speaking in English. The story goes that a member of the tribe, his name was Squanto, he had been uh, at some point kidnapped by an Englishman, 
And while he was being held captive, he somehow learned to speak the language. And the story then goes that Squanto, who uh, was a member of the Wampanoag tribe and members of the Abenaki and uh, Pawtuxet tribes, assisted the pilgrims in learning how to survive in the New World by cultivating its indigenous plants, extracting sap from the maple trees. They taught them how to fish and, and catch fish and a whole bunch more. And because of this, alliances were forged between the pilgrims and the local Native Americans, and this created a 50-year example of peace between the colonists and the Native Americans. So there you have your traditional tale of how the pilgrims came and how they interacted with the Native Americans. And the first Thanksgiving comes out a year later in 1621 because the colonists were successful with their harvest and they had a bounty of corn. And the governor of the colony, his name was William Bradford, he invited those Native American friends of his and his allies to a celebratory feast, which is now considered to be the first Thanksgiving. And this thing actually lasted for three days. Now, perhaps surprising to us Americans who now celebrate with the food that I was mentioning earlier, turkey, potatoes, vegetables like beans, corn, and squash, cranberries, desserts of cakes and pecan pie and um, pumpkin pie. God, I can't wait for to have me some pumpkin pie. Well, the first Thanksgiving is actually believed by historians to have had a really different menu of spiced dishes prepared in a traditional Native American style. It actually had game meat like venison, wild ducks, swans. Possibly they even had cod, shellfish, eel, and even lobster. Man, I think I'm going to make, I'd, lo- I'd love me some seafood. Lobster is my favorite, so I think when I, when I found this out, I think I'm going to try to start making lobster some of my traditional Thanksgiving food. We're going to see how well that goes. So, yeah, so we celebrate with things like, you know, a big-ass turkey and vegetables and desserts, and they were having things like deer and swans and fish, lobster, corn, so it's very different than what we traditionally celebrated as far as the food goes. So the divisive Thanksgiving myth, let's take a look at that. Not all scholars or Native American tribes agree with the complete popularized history of the first Thanksgiving. It's still celebrated, still debated, should I say, not celebrated. It's still debated whether or not this first celebration at Uh, Plymouth was really the first one. Um, Historians who dive deep into it, they give out other examples of ceremonies by by European settlers, which predates the 1621 event. For example, there was a Spanish explorer named Pedro Menendez de Avil, who in St. Augustine, Florida, is said to have invited members of the local Native American tribe to feast and hold a mass thanking God. And this was way before 1621. This was in 1565, so a long, way long time before the 1621 date. And additionally, when uh, British settlers reached Berkeley 100 on Virginia's James River, they proclaimed that this date, which was December the 4th of 1619, as, and I quote, a day of thanksgiving to the Almighty God. So there you have two dates, one way ahead of the 1621 date in 1565, and then another one a couple of years ahead of it in 1619, who is on record as saying we are celebrating, we are thanksgiving to God. Now, there are some Native American groups who feel that our American Thanksgiving narrative paints a deceptively sunny portrait of the relationship between the pilgrims and the Native American people. They say that it masks the long and bloody history of conflict between 
the Native Americans and those European settlers, those pilgrims. And this conflict, this war, resulted in the death of millions. And believe it or not, because of this, there are people who protest Thanksgiving. And that just really, um, as far as I'm concerned, that really shocks me because this is a day that is a celebratory day that's geared towards family and giving thanks to your maker and thanks for everything that, that, that you've had happen to you over the last year. You can say, oh, God, you know, why would you want to thank someone for, for COVID-19? Just be thankful that you have survived it, you know. And I can't believe that there are people who protest Thanksgiving as a national day of mourning, and they've been doing this since 1970. So for 50 years, people have been protesting Thanksgiving. That's just amazes me at the dumbasses who will protest something like this. That just goes to show that dumbass people will protest anything, and they have no real idea behind what Thanksgiving is supposed to represent. That's just protesting for protest, as far as say, you know, protesting for protest sake, as far as I'm concerned. It's just stupid. All right, so there's an author. I'm going to get off my soapbox. All right. There's an author um, and history professor from George Washington University by the name of David Silverman. And he says that the quote unquote Thanksgiving myth uh, is historically inaccurate and it kind of glosses over the Native American history. And he did uh, not too long ago an interview with uh, the Smithsonian. And I, this is a rather long quote, but I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna quote it here. This is what uh, David Silverman said: "Using a shared dinner as a symbol for colonialism really has it backward. No question about it. Wampanoag leader, and I'm gonna screw this up. I'm so sorry. Asumaquin reached out to the English at Plymouth Rock and wanted an alliance with them." But it's not because he was innately friendly. It's because his people have been decimated by an epidemic disease and he sees the English as an opportunity to fend off his tribal rebels. That's not the stuff of Thanksgiving pageants. The Thanksgiving myth doesn't address the deterioration of this relationship culminating in one of the most horrific colonial Indian wars on record, King Philip's War and also doesn't address the Wampanoag survival and adaptation over the centuries, which is why they're still here, despite the odds. So it's giving, he's, what he's saying is really our traditional view, what we are taught in elementary school, is just totally skewed. It's, it's a like almost completely made up narrative, like, oh man, everything was great. The Native Americans and these white people, they got along brilliantly and they learned from each other and then they had a feast to celebrate everything. And that's really not it. What he's saying here is that, yeah, there was probably a feast and there was probably an alliance made, but the alliance was made by the Native Americans because they needed the white people on their side to fend off the rebellion that was taking place in their own lands. It was a friendship of necessity, not necessarily a friendship out of being friends. And kind of goes back to the old saying, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. You know, that's kind of what it was. And so it kind of gives you the, the hint that, oh, man, these people really didn't like each other. It was just born out of necessity, and and it really was. But over the years, Thanksgiving has become, thanks to the 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 distorted narrative that is told, Thanksgiving has become to mean a day of family and friends getting together to be thankful. And really, you know, that is the message that we need to be portraying to people: is that this is what Thanksgiving. Is all about. It might not have been that originally, but what it is now is about something good. Even though what what it came of was not necessarily a good thing, 
but what it is today is something that is good. So we've talked about the popular tale of the Mayflower and the first Thanksgiving, and we've kind of talked a little bit about the Thanksgiving myth. So where does the whole Thanksgiving thing come from? Well, it's actually what we're celebrating is actually a bastardization of ancient harvest festivals. Uh, From another perspective, it can be seen that the ancient origins of Thanksgiving stem from the tradition of harvest festivals that stretch back long before those pilgrims came to the New World. Thanksgiving for the annual harvest is one of the oldest holidays known to man, though it's celebrated on different dates. For example, the Chinese and Hindus are said to have celebrated harvest feast thousands of years ago, and the Israelites were instructed to keep the Feast of Tabernacles uh, a celebration, a, a holy convocation that was to last for eight days. And I believe the uh, Feast of Tabernacles is known as Sukkoth, I believe is how it's pronounced. Um, the Old Testament is just replete with commands to gather harvest and to rejoice. And the most well-known are found in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 14, and Leviticus chapter 23, verse 10. I'm not going to read those to you, but if you want to read them for yourself, I'll repeat it. Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 14, and Leviticus chapter 23, verse 10. So the shift from hunting and gathering to agrarian societies focused on the domestication of plants and animals during the Neolithic Revolution. A successful harvest was something that was of major importance. It dictated the stability and the health of the community. And harvest celebrations marked the end of summer. They were a time of feasting and paying tribute to the gods for the bounty and the prosperity and for overall good health. These harvest festivals were common around the globe in one form or the other for millennia. It's believed by some early agrarian societies that that, uh, the cultivated crops contained spirits which caused them to grow. And as such, it was seen as vital that the crops were harvested or the spirits would languish in the plants and eventually take revenge against the farmers. So there's your paranormal aspect to it, right? Harvest and rituals celebrated the release or the defeat, if you will, of these spirits. So there's your paranormal side, once again, of Thanksgiving. A harvest festival honoring men, the god of vegetation and fertility, was celebrated by the ancient Egyptians. At the end of harvest, which was actually held in springtime, a grand parade was said to be held in which the pharaoh would be like the featured guy. He was the the grand poobah, the parade master, whatever you want to call it. The Egyptian farmers would uh, pretend to to cry and weep and mourn to fool the spirits that were living in the crops. And this ruse was apparently to blindside the spirits so they wouldn't suspect that they were about to be harvested. Ancient Greeks gave thanks to Demeter, the goddess of fertility and harvest. You see uh, kind of a, a correlation there between the Egyptians and the Greeks, right? Their harvest festival was called Thesmophora. The symbols of Demeter were poppies and ears of corn, a basket of fruit, and a little pig. Romans honored, honored, that totally didn't come out right. Romans honored the goddess of agriculture, Ceres, uh, on October the 4th, and this celebration was called the Cerulea. An interesting little side note here, Ceres is where we get our word cereal. That's where the word cereal is derived. Goddess of agriculture, right? Um, Another festival was was held later on uh, to honor the gods of grain by the Romans. So you have all of these festivals here that are taking place, and they all celebrate the harvest, and they all celebrate a god or a goddess that has to do with harvest or crops or fertility. 
the ancient Celtic peoples had robust harvest festivals, and these traditions have continued for thousands of years, and you just see it go on and on and on. In Jewish tradition, the holiday of Sukkot, like I was saying, the, the, um, the Feast of Tabernacles, some call it, I think, the Feast of Booths, is, is observed in the fall in which special meals are eaten from a booth, a hut, or a sukkah, and thanks for the protection and care of God. So Thanksgiving is really celebrate has been celebrated for millennia by different civilizations, Romans, Egyptians, Greeks, you name it, Celts. And it's another one of those ancient pagan holidays that was basically bastardized by Christians. And you have this group of people in 1620 who decide, hey, we're going to go to this new world and we're going to escape this religious persecution that we're going through for our beliefs and we're going to be landowners and we're going to be free to do what we want to do. And they came over and had this very, very tenuous relationship with the Native American tribes that probably was not all of that friendly. But somewhere in the middle of all that, they managed to come together out of necessity, not necessarily friendship, and have a feast. And that feast was what we now call the American Thanksgiving. And even that has been taken over and and molded into being something that it really wasn't in the beginning. But like I said, what we have turned it into, which is a an American holiday of celebrating family and being thankful for friends, family, and for basically still being here, that is really what we should be focusing on for Thanksgiving. Not the fact that it's a, a a holiday that has been bastardized by the church or that has been um, um, reworked over by historians for it to be something different. We should really, at the heart of it, Thanksgiving is really about friends and family and about being thankful. So one of the things that I want to do is look at the pagan symbols of thanksgiving. But before I do that, well, you know what? I think I'm just going to, yeah, I think before, I think I'm just going to go ahead and take a look at the pagan symbols of thanksgiving. I'm thinking I'm going to fly here. So there are a few symbols of Thanksgiving that we traditionally, we see these things and we're like, oh yeah, it's Thanksgiving time. And you're looking for, you know, ideas to decorate your table for Thanksgiving, or you want a picture for Thanksgiving or, or whatever. You want to send a Thanksgiving card to somebody. You see these symbols on, you see these images on cards and tables and, and, and centerpieces and all that. And they're really pagan symbols. So the first thing we're going to talk about is cornucopias. In Greek mythology, the horn of Amalthea, the name of the goat who suckled Zeus, that became known as the cornucopia or horn of plenty. Isis, who was the Egyptian faithful wife, mother, and goddess, was identified with Hathor, the horned cow goddess, and horns are still used in pagan festivals today. So cornucopia was actually representative of the horn of the goat who suckled Zeus. That's very interesting, right? That has nothing to do (laughs) with what we traditionally think of as Thanksgiving. The Harvest Queen, that was a name given to Ceres, the Roman goddess of agriculture and crops, or to a young woman chosen from among the reapers to whom was given a post of honor at the harvest home. 
Also, in the 1948 edition of the Universal World Reference Encyclopedia, um, it says that Demeter, who's the Greek version of the Egyptian goddess Isis and Roman version of Ceres, is one of the principal Grecian deities, the great mother goddess, the nourishing and fertilizing principles of nature. So that's another pagan symbol of Thanksgiving. Something else that you might not consider to be a pagan symbol of Thanksgiving is actually corn, which represents Ceres. She is the goddess, I said, of agriculture, crops, the the corn goddess, if you will. Um, So that is also a symbol from paganism. Poppies also corresponds to Ceres. Seen a lot of Ceres in here, right? Um, Ceres corresponds with poppies, and Ceres corresponds with Isis of the Egyptians and Demeter of the Greeks. She's represented with a garland of ears of corn or grains on her head, holding in one hand a lighted torch and in the other a poppy, which was considered to be sacred to her. And then you remember I said uh, one of the things that that was a, a featured as a feast was a, a piglet or, or a tiny pig. So uh, a piglet is also a pagan symbol of thanksgiving. Demeter was presented with a cow and a sow, which is a piglet, as well as honey, poppies, corn, and fruit, indicating thanksgiving for a land of plenty. So those are awesome pagan symbols of thanksgiving that you probably have never even thought about twice. Cornucopia, corn, pigs, just crazy, isn't it? when you really look into it to see the deeper meaning behind what we're celebrating today. So let me take a, uh, towards the end of the show here and let's talk about the Thanksgiving myth and let's look at some of the things that have been traditionally associated with Thanksgiving as far as traditional tales and and myths are concerned. And then I'm going to debunk some of these for you. So I'm going to ruin your Thanksgiving forever. Here in America, their Puritans originally shunned the harvest home, which we have turned into Thanksgiving. All Saints' days were swept off the calendar as as, uh, well as Christmas and Easter. And they did this on the grounds that these mixed rituals and pagan customs together. And their religious beliefs, as well as the, the, the difficulty of their lives in those primitive times, didn't really permit these people the luxury of having a, a, you know, a Merry Christmas and fun holidays and stuff. Their severe living conditions required discipline and sacrifice, and they didn't have time to celebrate in the traditional ways. Later on, Thanksgiving, a holiday thanking God for the harvest and enabling them to survive the winter, seemed to them to be a more fitting celebration than the other more established feasts of the church. And remember, these people were escaping. They came over here in 1620 to escape religious persecution because they wanted to be able to, to practice religion the way that they wanted to, not the way that the church told them that they needed to. So we have several myths here. Actually, I'm going to break down uh, four of them. So the first myth is that the Plymouth colonists were the first to celebrate what we traditionally know as Thanksgiving. Now, I think I have successfully already debunked this myth beforehand. So how did I do that? In case you missed it and have you not been paying attention, here's how I debunked the first myth. The, 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 the Plymouth colony wasn't, the first English colony to land in America, nor were they the first to offer thanks. The first permanent English settlement here in America was founded at Jamestown, Virginia in 1607, so they beat them by several years, right? Um, The Spanish explorer, uh, Pedro Menendez de Avell, who I talked about earlier, he held a Thanksgiving in 1565, and when other British settlers held one, on December 4th, 1619, as a day of thanksgiving to the Almighty God, you have an example of two thanksgivings that were held before what is traditionally considered to be the first one in 1621. 
The second myth is that the first Thanksgiving was held in the year 1621. So I think I have successfully debunked that too. As I said, the first Thanksgiving was held possibly in 1565 by the explorer Pedro Menendez de Avil. There was another Thanksgiving feast that was held on August 9th, 1607, by colonists who were en route to found the short-lived uh, Popham colony at what is now Phippsburg, Maine. They had two ships, and uh, they had reached one of the uh, George's Islands off the coast of Maine, and when they did, they gave God thanks for their safe arrival into the country by having a celebration. And then, of course, as early as December 4th, 1619, the settlers set aside a day to give thanks for the survival of their small company. Their day of thanks continued to be observed on December 4th all the way up until 1622 when a conflict with the Indians, or the Native Americans, should I say, uh, of the area almost devastated the colony. So those first two myths, I've kind of already debunked them earlier in the episode here. But what is the third myth? Well, the third myth is that the first Thanksgiving day was a day of thanks and worship and a celebration of camaraderie between the pilgrims and the Native Americans. Well, no, not really. Here is the third myth debunked. The historical official pilgrim Thanksgiving day was not even a day completely given to thanks and praise to God as some believe today. This day was a show of military power for the Native Americans. And how do we know this? Because I have an excerpt from an article that was written by a lady named Diana Carter Applebaum, who is a historian and researcher, and listen to what she says. Once again, it's a long quote, but I am going to read it. The first autumn, an ample harvest ensured that the colony would have food for one winter, excuse me, would have food for the winter months. Can't read. Governor Bradford, with one eye on the divine providence, proclaimed a day of thanksgiving to God, and with the other eye on the local political situation, extended an invitation to the neighboring Indians to share in the harvest feast. In order to guarantee that the feast served to cement a peaceful relationship, the three-day-long feast was punctuated by displays of the power of English muskets for the benefit of suitably impressing the Indian guests. What do you think about that? Huh? So, once again, we have this alliance that was formed out of necessity, not necessarily out of, hey, I want to be your friend. The Native Americans were seeing it as, hey, we need these freaking white people to help us quell this rebellion that's going on. And the white people were seeing this as, hey, this is a chance for us to display our military superiority to these goofballs. No offense to the Native Americans, but that's how they saw them as, as just freaking savages, you know? And they were like, we're going to display our military might to these savages and show them that we are superior. Isn't that crazy? So the fourth myth is that Thanksgiving is a purely American Christian holiday. So here I am going to debunk the fourth myth for you. So as much as we'd like to think of Thanksgiving as a pure and holy holiday that was begun by the pilgrims in 1621 at Plymouth, it's really not the truth. And I think we've already, you know, ascertained that. It's, you know, on the contrary, the, the pagan harvest festival can be traced back to the land of all the way back, if you really trace it back, all the way back to ancient Babylon in the worship of the Great Mother. So it goes even further back than the Egyptians and the Greeks and the Romans and the Celts and all that. It goes all the way back to Babylon. Isn't that crazy? So what we have is really a pagan festival which was giving thanks to the harvest and giving thanks to the gods of fertility as well because what is symbolic of the harvest? Fertility, right? It's the fertile earth, right? So you can't have a 
a celebration for the harvest without also celebrating fertility. So you have these two gods combined into one festival, and over the centuries, it becomes bastardized by the Christian church, turned it into something different, and not really... Uh, anything that was really internationally as far as outside of, of America, not really even celebrated anymore. And then you come to 1620 and 1621 when these pilgrims come over to the New World from England because they don't like the way that they're being told how they can worship God. And they come for a religious freedom. They meet these Native Americans. They have this very tenuous relationship with them. And for the good of both parties, they form an alliance, a very, very uh, tenuous alliance, and they have a celebration. And we are taught, oh, man, it was a great celebration. They had all this food, and the Native Americans were helping them, and they were helping the Native Americans, and they were friends, and they wanted to celebrate, and blah, blah, blah. And it really wasn't that. The Native Americans were saying, hey, we need you white people to help us with this rebellion. And the white people were saying, hey, just in case you guys are thinking about fighting us, look at our military might. Here's some muskets, pow, pow. It's crazy. And now you come to, to the 21st century, and we're still cel- we're celebrating Thanksgiving, but it's not the same, the same celebratory thing that was going on in 1621. We're told, oh, it's a day of, 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 for family, and it's a day for giving thanks to God and being with family and blah, blah, blah. And it really wasn't all about that to start off with. But should it, it now, and I'm talking just about the American Thanksgiving holiday. That's, um, that's strictly what this whole episode has been about. But should we not celebrate Thanksgiving because it's been bastardized by the by the Christian church or because historically it's inaccurate the way that we're celebrating it? Absolutely not. It's the message that's being portrayed behind the meaning of Thanksgiving. Even though originally it didn't start out to be what we celebrate today, the message behind what we have today is let's be thankful for our friends. Let's be thankful for our family. Let's be thankful for whatever health we've got. Let's be thankful that we're still here, and let's celebrate that. And that's what really Thanksgiving should really be all about. And before I conclude all of this, I want to talk to you about a a few Thanksgiving facts that you may not have known. So, the official version states that Thanksgiving started in 1621 with a three-day feast by pilgrims to celebrate their survival through their first winter in the New World. And it was later made a permanent holiday by President Lincoln two centuries later in 1863. So I bet bet you didn't know that. You probably know from listening to this podcast that the traditional Thanksgiving was in 1621, but did you know that it wasn't an official American holiday until 1863 thanks to President Lincoln? Another fact that you may not have known, President Franklin Roosevelt made one of the only changes to the holiday celebration. He changed the date from the late Thursday in November to the next to last Thursday in November in hopes that a longer Christmas shopping window would boost retailer profits. And that's where we get the term Black Friday from being the first shopping day of the Christmas season. That's how we get our term Black Friday. Another thing you might not have been aware is the ancient Roman celebration of the harvest is called Cerealia. We already talked about this, which is the origin of the word cereal that we use today. Something else is that Ben Franklin proposed the turkey as the official bird of the nation, but eventually the bald eagle went out. Can you imagine if the turkey was the official bird of the nation? What would we eat for Thanksgiving? Bald eagles? Who knows? Maybe we would be eating lobster, which is fine by me. Something else that I I learned when I was doing research for this that, that really blew my mind is that the classic Christmas song Jingle Bells was originally penned by uh, a man named James Pierpont for children celebrating Thanksgiving 
at his Boston Sunday School. Yes, that's right. Jingle Bells is a song that originally was supposed to celebrate Thanksgiving, but it was so popular that it was repeated for Christmas, and that is the holiday for which made the song what it is today. So Jingle Bells is a freaking Thanksgiving song. That is unbelievable. 91% of Americans consume turkey on Thanksgiving. Don't know what the other 9% consume. Obviously not turkey. Uh, Something interesting about the very first TV dinner, it consisted of a Thanksgiving meal. Swanson Foods found themselves with a surplus of frozen turkey after a slow Thanksgiving one year, and some senior executives came up with the frozen meal idea. And when they debuted it, it cost a whopping 98 cents for the complete meal. And that was a factor which helped establish the permanent market. 98 cents for a Thanksgiving Day meal, frozen. Mm -mm. You ever had a frozen Swanson TV dinner? They don't call them TV dinners anymore. Man, not all that great. Ain't many of them know growing up. (laughs) And finally, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving is the single largest sales day for tavern and bar sales nationwide here in the United States. Everybody's got to get their drink on (laughs) before the holiday (laughs) because they know they got to go be with their family. (laughs) Oh, God. I gotta I gotta go to mom's house next week. Where's the closest freaking bar? Oh my god! <laughs> uh, geez, I cracked myself up. Oh god! So, in conclusion, the Christians took over the Roman holiday, and it became well established in England, where some of the Roman traditions and rituals for this day were observed long after the Roman Empire had disappeared. In England, the harvest home has been observed continually for centuries. The custom was to select a harvest queen for this holiday. She was decorated with the grain of their fields and the fruit of their trees. And on Thanksgiving Day, she was paraded around the streets in a carriage drawn by white horses. This was a remnant of the Roman ceremonies in honor of Ceres. But... The English no longer thought of Ceres or cared much about her, and they went to church on this day and sang their Thanksgiving songs. The ancient roots of harvest festivals stretch back to a time when hunger was a constant threat and societies felt like they were at the mercy of the gods. Thanksgiving is now a thriving modern holiday, a blend of religious and secular, still celebrated around the world on various days with honor being paid to the country and to the bounty of our lives, shared among strangers, family, and friends alike. So even though the history of Thanksgiving is varied and has really nothing to do with the way that it's celebrated today and the meaning that it's celebrated under, it's still, I think, a great American holiday. And no matter what it used to be or what it originally was, what it is today is supposed to be something of good. It's supposed to be about family, friends, neighbors, and yes, even strangers coming together to celebrate the successes that they have had, no matter how big or small they were throughout the year. And that's why it's celebrated at the end of the year, as far as I'm concerned. And that, everyone, is your history lesson on the pagan history of Thanksgiving. I hope that you enjoyed tonight's episode of Parareality. Let me know what your ideas and thoughts about it are. Send me an email, sandman at parareality.com, or get in touch with me through my social media accounts, Parareality page on Facebook. Just go to Parareality, just go to uh, facebook.com slash sandman.parareality, or you can look me up on Twitter at Radio on Twitter. Also, don't forget you can call the studio line 615-692-1170. And don't forget to visit my website, parareality.com. Visit that website often to keep up on the latest paranormal news from all around the world. If you are a paranormal news junkie like I am, and you're like, man, where can I get me some good paranormal news? Well, I've got the answer for you. 
Go to parareality.com. Check on the news tab there on the homepage, and you can read till your heart's content. Find out all about the latest and greatest paranormal news from all around the world. That content is updated on an almost daily basis. You can also, while you're there at the website, you can shop in the Parareality Radio store. Got some new merch, great stuff. Got the new logo. It's not new anymore. It's been there a year now. But I got the new logo for the, for the uh, show on all of my merch. You can even watch some of the terrible show videos that I've made for the show over the years on the website. I, they, they're horrible, but they're for your entertainment, right? And you can actually follow, if you don't have social media, if you're one of the like two people in the whole world who don't have Facebook or if you don't have a Twitter account or whatever, but you're like, man, I would really like to know, you know, some, some things that's going on behind the scenes of the podcast, or I really want to know, uh, some stuff about what he thinks about guests, or I'd like to hear some of his tweets or some of his thoughts about whatever, but it's just not worth it for me to get a Facebook account or Twitter account. That's okay, baby. You can just go to parareality.com, scroll all the way down to the bottom of the home page, and my social media feeds are right there. You can see on the left there is Facebook, and on the right there is my Twitter feed. So you don't even have to have Facebook or Twitter to follow me on social media. Just go to parareality.com, scroll all the way down the bottom of the homepage, and that's where you'll find my social media accounts. Social media is where you can find out all kinds of things that's happening behind the scenes of the podcast because that's where I post a lot of interesting articles and show topics and other interesting stuff like my travels and investigations and stuff like that. You know, parareality.com is really your one-stop shopping for everything that's going on in the world of paranormal. You can get your paranormal news there. You can listen to the podcast. You can buy some paranormal merch. You can follow me on social media. It's the greatest paranormal website in the world. That's my two cents anyway <laughs> everybody pair reality can be heard on your favorite podcast platform all you got to do is uh, just uh, search for pair reality and if you got a smart speaker you can listen there too if you got any of the uh, the aforementioned podcast skills on your device just say hey play the pair reality podcast and bam there you go you're listening to the podcast and like I said earlier, I've also got a YouTube account, and you can listen to the podcast there too. It's also full of some great videos, like some UFO and paranormal documentaries. Uh, I've got a, a, a new segment that I started called News of the Strange. I've done about three episodes on that, and then uh, coronavirus, COVID-19 hit, and uh, things went all to shit, and I haven't done one in a very long time. As soon as all this coronavirus stuff is over, I'm going to get back to it. Um, but I do have about three video segments called News of the Strange there. And it's got uh, those terrible show videos that I did on my very short-lived uh, web TV show. It was horrible. Uh, but it's there for your viewing pleasure. And, of course, all of the podcast episodes are uploaded to YouTube as well. So to find the channel, all you got to do is go to uh, YouTube and search for Parareality there on YouTube. And... I also have a Patreon account now for the podcast, and I'd love it if you'd sign up to be a patron. There are three tiers of support, and all are extremely affordable, starting out at $5. Actually, they're $5 a month or less, so very extremely affordable. And each level, each level offers exclusive content, along with the ability to help create podcast episodes and even the chance to be a guest or a co-host. So to learn more, just go on over to uh, patreon.com slash Parareality. 100% of what I make from Patreon will go back into producing this podcast. I don't keep a penny. I want to keep producing quality content for you. And uh, everything that I make from my merchandise, sales, and from Patreon goes back into supporting this podcast. I don't take a dime of it. So I would appreciate your patronage, please. Thank you very much. Wow. It is coming down to the end of the year, people. I cannot believe that this year is finally going to be over with. What does 2021 hold for us? We thought 2020 was going to be a good year, and it turned out to be probably one of the worst years on record. It's horrible. A lot of people died, still dying. A lot of disease going on out there. So let's hope that that trend does not continue for 2021. So uh, anyway, the next episode of Parareality 
It's going to be the season 14 finale. Can you believe that? I've got one more episode in this season. And that's going to be on December 6th at 8 o'clock p.m. Central U.S. time. Season 14 finale. Make sure you don't miss it. Turn on, tune in, and find out. See what the season finale, season 14 finale episode is going to be all about. Everyone, I hope that this podcast opens up your mind to new ways of thinking, expands your consciousness, and produces a change in the way you see the world. If you wish to change, you must lift the veil of ignorance that has been cast over your eyes. Only then will you see the true power of the universe. I hope that you have a wonderful evening, a wonderful weekend. I will see you again on December the 6th at 8 o'clock p.m. U.S. time central for the season 14 finale of Parareality. Good night, everybody. If you wish to change, you must first lift the veil of ignorance that has been cast over your eyes. Only then will you see the true power of the universe.